Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The NBA Finals is tied at two. MLB held its all-star game in the uniforms that you could have had printed at the Jersey Shore somewhere. And my favorite childhood sports film has its sequel coming out. And I wish I could say I was incredibly excited, but I can already feel incredible disappointment from the trailer alone. It's not going to be good, and it's going to hurt me in my soul. But let's hold on to that little glimmer of hope that maybe LeBron James won't ruin the Space Jam for my generation. Speaking of basketball, though, Game 4 of the NBA Finals, pretty thrilling, very exciting, a play that people will talk about for the rest of time, a non-foul call that we could have talked about for the rest of time that... Fortunately, for basketball purists, didn't impact the game. But for the Bucks, two wins at home. We talk about it on the show, and by talk about it, we just repeat the old adage that a series doesn't really start till the home team loses. That is yet to happen. The Bucks took care of business. It looked a little iffy in Game Four, but your boy Chris Middleton came to play. Forty points. The Batman 2 is Robin. We don't believe that, folks. Others have said it. We still don't know why. To match Devin Booker, give the Bucks the 2-0 sweep at home. And now we have ourselves a series. We're going to game five. A lot of excitement on the line and a lot of storylines to go from it. I think this NBA Finals has been quite delightful, Al. Unbeknownst to what some people have said, that this would be boring and who cares about these franchises. Nay, nay. I've had a good time watching these games. First of all, Johnny, we say hello to all our friends and listeners uh, who we love having aboard. Hope everybody is healthy. Hope everybody is safe. Hope everybody's staying cool. Little heat wave in New York. Look, it was an ugly start last night. What everyone had talked about is at 2 1, this series, not a lot of people are watching. There is no marquee city involved. We know that. Obviously, Phoenix and Milwaukee are not exactly go-to sites, although Arizona, growing population. But obviously, it's not L.A., it's not New York, it's not Chicago, it's not Golden State, it's not Miami. However, what we got last night was what we had been waiting for. And it didn't start well. I was sitting there in the first quarter saying, this is one of the ugliest beginnings to a game, especially at this level, I have ever seen. Milwaukee could not put the ball in the ocean. Phoenix kept giving them opportunities by turnovers and miss shots. 
with the exception, basically, of Devin Booker, who got off early. And somehow, someway, even though he was a huge minus in the plus-minus scenario and only had one rebound despite his size, the much-maligned Brooke Lopez gave them some early points in the first half when they were on the verge of floundering. Six for six from the foul. Six for six from the foul line in a first half is large in a championship game. Second half starts. Booker's on fire. Has a huge, huge third quarter. Eighteen. He has got them rolling. And Giannis is. You know the wall is kind of working. He's not forcing a lot, but he's not getting a lot. Uh, Holiday. God love him. You know I dig him. He's a perfect fit for this team because he is a blue-collar guy. But he just simply could not make a shot. Four for 20 when the dust settled on his night. But as has been his want, Mr. Middleton, who always in every one of these series has found a way to get mid-30s in one or two games. I said last night, I texted the great Nick Wright, Middleton 35 tonight. And he not only did that, he bettered it, but he kept them in it. Giannis got rolling a little bit. Connaughton gets some big threes, a huge three after they go into the fourth quarter, down six, instantly down nine, Connaughton answers. If he doesn't make that three, who knows? It's 11, 12, who knows what happens? But he instantly brings it back to six. And then it's just a slugfest. It is just a war of attrition the rest of the way. The Bucks make a little run. Phoenix fights back. The, the Phoenix has a couple turnovers. The Bucks knock down a big three from Compton. Uh, then the Bucks have a chance to tie it. They don't. Phoenix takes the lead back. Uh, then comes the fifth foul. The all-important, good call, fifth foul on Booker, who bitches about every call. He's a wonderful young player, but he complains constantly. And I firmly believe you, know, you talk about it, you hear teams uh, take on the personality of their coach. This team has taken on the personality of their leader, Chris Paul. They bitch about everything. And they never stop barking at the officials. They go down like $100 club fighters. I mean, Crowder, every time he gets touched, you think he got shot. He is down constantly. Cam Johnson took a dive when he slipped. And the ball went out of bounds, laying there, holding his leg, hoping the officials going to stop the game, feigning injury. I mean, they literally take after their leader. They bitch and moan constantly, and they take dives and they flop nonstop. It's hard to watch. However, Booker is a tremendous player. He goes out with his fifth foul. And you, know, you could make the argument, if you want, that Monty Williams just said, you want to know what? I'm going to roll with him. I'm going to roll with him and see if he can get us enough of a lead that if he falls out, it doesn't matter. Now, that's 2020 hindsight. I thought he left him out too long. But it's not like they fell way behind. But I thought they lost the chance with him out to put the game away. That's the difference. However, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, Holiday could not make a shot. But as I said, he is wearing down Chris Paul. Chris Paul, his strength, his physicality, 
and guarding Chris Paul 94 feet. He doesn't pick him up at half court. He picks him up in the backcourt. And he is one tough ombre. He is a perfect fit for this team. Because even though Middleton is this is, is this beautiful shooter with a great stroke, he's ugly at times. You know, in this series, you know, five for nineteen. He has games like that in the previous series where you know he's shooting thirty percent, and then he comes out and he gets thirty-five or forty. Not incredibly efficient. He took twenty-nine shots last night, but his ability to score in so many different ways is what makes him so tough. He never, ever, ever misses free throws. And he is fearless, to his credit. He is not afraid to take the big shot. And last night, up two, he missed two shots that I thought would have put the game away. However, they come down. Holiday takes the ball down court on the break. And Holiday lays it in off of what should have been Booker's seventh foul. We'll get to what it should have been his sixth foul in a minute. And that's your game. Huge block from Giannis. An all-time play when they were up to incredible reaction because he went to help, and then he had the wherewithal to pick up the ball, turn, go to Aiton, leave his feet, go up to the square, clean block. Uh, I Yes, I'm a homer. I think there's probably only one other guy with the defensive skill and physical ability to make that play, and that's a, and that's a Anthony healthy Anthony Davis. But that's it. A remarkable play, an all-time great block. They score at the other end, and you know, it's game, set, match. But Chris Paul, you know, going from point God to point Claude, all right, can he come back in game five? Because he has had two miserable games. And you pointed out last night, Aiton did not score from the first quarter, after the first quarter. Why? Well, one of the reasons, they couldn't give the ball. They defended him much better when he got it, and he did not shoot nearly as high a percentage, and he was well defended. But those are shots he's been making, but he did not get the ball in places to make shots. And one of the reasons, the biggest reason for that is the defense on Chris Paul. Holiday would not let him get to the spots he wanted to get to. How many times have I said, you must make Chris Paul go left? Left, left. He never wants to finish going left. He'll go left and then he'll give you a little jab, step, crossover and go back to the right. He wants to take that little fade away. He wants to take that 12-13 pull up. He wants. He always wants to do it going to his right. I said the same thing about Jimmy Butler last year in the finals. You must push him left, make him make passes going to him to his left, make him finish going to his left, make him make jump shots going to his left every time. And Drew Holiday, when you look at Drew Holiday at the foul line, he is a fucking literal bionic man. It looks like he never gets tired. He's incredibly, incredibly strong. He is a gifted physical player. If he ever has a big night shooting, they will blow the Suns out of the building. If he has a couple good shooting games back to back, these will be two routes. They won last night with their point guard going four for 20 and he was probably one of the most important guys on the court because what he did defensively stopped the sun's cold they got what they needed from booker but they can't win with just that booker is not enough because you saw last night he was brilliant he was brilliant he made contested shots he made 
all kinds of shots except threes. He got 42 points without a three-pointer. Incredibly rare for a guard. They were difficult shots. He didn't get, they made him take, take and make difficult shots. And it still wasn't enough. Why? Because Chris Paul gave them nothing except turnovers and live ball turnovers. Not just balls going out of bounds, but live ball turnovers, which turn into breaks, which turn into points. Big defensive play from Giannis, stealing the inbound. Turned a five-point lead into a three-point lead into dunk. Aiton walking after him. Not running, walking after him. The Bucs are wearing the Suns down. The Suns are equal in talent. They are not as physically strong as the Bucs. And for the Bucs to win this series, they must continue to play physical. Not dirty, because they're not a dirty team. They play hard. They play clean. They play physical. They dominated the offensive glass last night. Getting up off the ground earlier, tipping balls, getting to loose balls. We talked about how the Suns were in the 50-50 balls. Last night, the Bucs got the 50 and turnovers, 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 and offensive rebounds. 17 turnovers, I believe, for the Suns. 17 offensive rebounds for the Bucs. They didn't shoot it particularly well from three again, but they found a way in a game where they were climbing uphill the entire game. And you wonder, are they going to be able to pull it off? Are they, are they going to be able to get to the mountaintop? They've made the comeback. Can they maintain it? I picked the Bucs in six when this thing started. It's a tough call down 2-0, but I got to stick with it. They must maintain the physical style of play, and they're all into it. You can see that they're all doing it. They are a group that is together. Now, these series shifts, they can shift on a moment's notice, as this one has. However, we've seen the Bucks do this in every series. We've seen them progressively get better game by game by game. We'll see what it leads to in game five back in Phoenix. You'd obviously like to win easier like the Bucks were able to do in game three when Devin Booker just completely disappeared. Ten points. Stephen A. Smith's Kobe Bryant. Bucks win by 20. You don't want to have to have Chris Middleton drop 40 points. But as you mentioned, the Bucks as a team shot like garbage, especially from three. Brooke Lopez, 0 for 5. I had him on a bet to make two threes, so that's why that happened. I also had him and Jay Crowder to score 15 points. $10 to win like 150 because they just don't do that. He had 14 points. Jay Crowder had 15. Thanks, Brooke. But Drew Holiday, 4 for 20, 0 for 5 from 3. The only one that made an okay number of threes and one in the clutch was Connaughton, as you mentioned. Connaughton. Three for seven, and he made the one when it counted. And dare we say, Bud, wisening up with some of the rotations he had down the stretch, keeping in the guys that could defend, that he trusts to defend, having in the token white three-point shooter to be called upon when necessary and was successful at that. As you said, Coach catches a lot of heat from us and most of the pundits. You know, Coach Bud, when are you going to make an adjustment? When are you going to change your rotation? Yada, yada, yada. You know, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez. Their defense in the fourth quarter especially was – and look, when Booker came back in, they were terrific on him defensively. The couple shots he made down the stretch, he only made a couple. He cooled off. Could have been because he was on the bench for a while. 
defense was excellent on him all night. He made incredibly difficult shots from beginning to end. It will be very hard for him to duplicate that. Having great games repetitively makes you a, an all-time great player. He's not there yet, Stephen A. He's a wonderful young player, incredibly gifted, with the ability to be great on a given night. But greatness is about being great more often than not, and he has not been there yet. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We've heard, I've listened to the experts, the great Chris Broussard, Nick Wright, obviously, who's incredibly biased to LeBron, Coach Van Gundy. Your thoughts on the Giannis block versus, obviously, the LeBron rundown and block in game seven. It's hard not to sound biased because we are Lakers fans. LeBron James is now in the Lakers. Of course, he wasn't at the time of the block. He was with the Cavs. But that Cavs team, if you remember, somehow went from a LeBron villain team to the hero team because they ended up down 3-1 to the team that had won the most games in NBA history. And that was just a historic moment because of the moment itself. The game, the implication, the score, etc. And then just the athletic feat of sprinting down the length of the floor. And it just so happening that a little double cutch by Andre Iguodala worked out perfectly in LeBron's favor for the block. Now, the interesting part is the afterward, where the Cavs go down, miss LeBron. Steph comes down, miss Cavs come down, Kyrie hits that three, and then the Warriors just go dark for the rest of the game. They lose 93-89. to That block came around like the 150 mark, I believe. Giannis's was at the one-ish minute mark, so more impactful, although they had a two-point lead at the time. It's interesting because I'm not sure if Aiton makes that shot. Because the pass was pretty high. It was a very good catch just to control it by DeAndre Ayton. It looked to me like it would have been very difficult to score from how high he was, where he needed to control the ball. Maybe he would have just come down with it and went back up if nobody was around. But this is what makes Giannis the Greek freak. To take three steps from the foul line, and just be able to leap that high and not foul, it was incredible. And remember, that's off of going to help. He, he guarded started, the alley and he guarded the oop. He's, that's exactly that right. That doesn't he started, happen. He went to help in the lane on Booker. And then as Booker made the motion and he saw the ball going up in the air and start to leave Booker's hands for the lob, he turned and took his step and a half. And if you watch it, he went off of the leg, which had the hyperextension of the knee. So no issues there, apparently. And 
simply a remarkable play to have that kind of re-reaction. The reaction to Booker to go help, see what Booker's doing, and then the re-reaction to the lob, turn, find the ball, launch, get it cleanly, not foul, possess the ball. It's simply an all-time defensive play. And flex I guess so, by the way, another seven-footer, not nice a six-six guy. Okay? A flex. You get a flex. You have to. Of course. Got to have some flex appeal. Got to. And I'm not going to say better, but what I will say is, in my mind, again, a five-foot, six-inch white guy who's played basketball his whole life, Grew up loving it, watching it, playing it. No ability to jump high, plenty of ability to run. I think from a degree of difficulty, a more difficult play to make than LeBron's chase down. LeBron's a sprint. It's in front of him. He can time it to some extent. He's tracking it in his mind. He knows where he can take off, how he can take off, and what he's got to do. Right. That's not his first time making a play like that. Giannis had no time. Right. You're not practicing this. think, react. This is not something you practice. This is not something you see often. We see chase downs all the time. We don't see them like LeBron's, and we don't see them in game seven of crunch time, an incredibly important scenario. Uh, or it, it flips a game and, and maybe the turning point in the championship uh, win or loss, but they may have been a turning point in the championship win or loss also, but I think it was the more difficult and extraordinary of the two blocks. Not better, but the more difficult from beginning to end because it had to happen incredibly quickly. He had to react and re-react, and then obviously the, the physicality of it, what was required, no knock on LeBron's, we'd, we steal a lot, we'd see a lot of chase down blocks from him and others. But again, I, I only think that there are two guys currently in the league who could have done it. The guy who did it last night and, and the Brown. They're the only ones with the length. They're the only ones with the uh, defensive prowess and the ability, which we've talked about with AD, to go guard smaller players. We've seen him do it on the perimeter where AD, a healthy AD, could go help and then react to make that play. Now, maybe I'm not saying he does it. I'm saying he's the only one, I think, in the league who has the capability, skill set, wingspan, and defensive mindset to do it. But, as you said, that's why he is the great freight. And Chris Paul was, you know, the Chris Paul we've seen before in the postseason. The Chris Paul that we're used to seeing last year for Oklahoma City when he spits the bit and throws the ball away down the stretch. You know, the Chris Paul for Houston, down the stretch. The Chris Paul for the Clippers, down the stretch. Blowing 3-1 lanes, not wanting the ball, looking to pass, not to a wide-open teammate for him, layup or a dunk, 
uh, or on a break, but looking to pass the ball out to someone who is in no better position or worse position to do anything with him. Chris Paul getting small when it counts most. Now, plenty of chance to bounce back, plenty of chance for redemption, time to go home and redeem yourself, you know, and, and continue, uh, you know, the Chris Paul tribute. If you can go back home, have a good game and win a game five, but he's got to rebound, no pun intended and play better. So we go back to Phoenix. Uh, they got to feel good. I mean, they got the raw, raw speech. I don't know if you saw it after the game of hold your heads up, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. got to feel like if Chris Paul played average, slightly even above average, and Aiton scores four more points, at least get to 10, they might win. That's how close they were. They had the lead. But I can't play the if if the butts if Silencer scores four more points. I, I, I never play it that way. I, I look at it from the point of view that he was never there. Yeah. Those points weren't there. It was the defense that removed him from the game. He didn't miss any dunks. He didn't miss a bunch of free throws. He was deprived of opportunities because of the way they defended him and, most notably, as we've said, ad infinitum, the way Drew Holiday defended Chris Paul. So back to Phoenix, we go for a game five. Uh, look, I, I picked the Bucks when this thing started from the very outset to lose to the Lakers. Uh, once the Lakers got eliminated, I picked the Bucks to win it. I picked the Bucks in six when they started, down 2-0. Oh, that's a tall order, but I got to stick with it. So your thoughts on game five? The way this entire NBA playoffs have gone, it would be easy to say the Bucks have the momentum. They're going to carry it over into Phoenix and take a 3-2 lead. But the way the playoffs have gone, throw all that out the window, and I'll just assume that the Suns will be fine and they'll take game five. Or it'll end in a tie. That's how things have gone in the NBA playoffs. Now, it's just so we, nobody gets hurt. Exactly. Now, we just finished the All-Star break a little longer than anticipated with a Yankee COVID outbreak. So the one game of tonight uh, has been put off Yankees Red Sox as uh. they play for the 32nd time this year. No, actually, only the seventh time, uh, six and zero Red Sox. But we have an All Star break, a home run contest. Uh, the defending champ gets it done, but uh, the Otani effect, big time ratings for the home run contest, big times ratings for the game. Uh, this guy is a Rockstar. It is as simple as that. Uh, your impressions of Otani for the entire affair, the home run inning contest, taking to the mound, leading off as a DH, smiling all the time. It was the reason to watch both. And it's unfortunate that he had an early exit in both. I thought that they would give him three at-bats in the All-Star game hit and lead off because he didn't get a hit for the first two thanks to the switch in the first inning thought he had it there was a guy there you love when the camera pans over in your baseball mind you think well that's in the hole and then the camera catches up with the play and they shifted him perfectly and he's out that happens way too many times when I'm watching baseball games I think people might have put him on too high of a pedestal for 
at least the home run door repersion of things. It's hard to win that thing, man, especially now. Like in back in our day, the new report and old report shares this. When you had 10 outs, you could take as many pitches as you want. You had 10 swings if without hitting a home run. That was it. In 1990, Ryan Sandberg hit three home runs and won the home run derby in Chicago. Catch the fever. Three total, folks. And you can look up the stats of when McGuire and Bonds and Griffey were in there, and the numbers aren't going to blow your socks off. I mean, Bobby Abreu at one moment was like a a Hall of Fame god in a home run derby because he hit 20-plus-something home runs in one of his rounds. Josh Hamilton tore up Yankee Stadium in one of his rounds. Well, the whole contest, really. But now they've made it to where they just want madness and chaos and throw as many pitches as you can, hit as many pitches as you can, just keep swinging, baby. You have no time, if you're there, to watch where the ball is going because you have to go back and look at where the guy is hitting because it could be coming right toward you in a three-second span. God bless these people, children, teenagers, that they trot onto the field to shag fly balls now. You get your head taken. that supposedly is the reason why... you wait for the ball to be fielded before the next pitch can be thrown. Right, which is because what they, they don't want. They don't want the these rule. kids getting hurt. You had to wait the for outfield. the ball to land, and then you know that line was kind of grayed out because if it was toward the end of the round and a guy needed a couple more homers, he was obviously going to say, "Well, throw it, throw it." And Pete Alonso won the thing, hitting seventy-four home runs. He knew he was going to win this thing. His post game was phenomenal. He was planning for this since the last time he did it, and he he showed up. He had swag. It's, it's, it was it's, a performance. It's exactly. It, it's almost like, you know, Larry Bird or Steph in the three-point shooting contest. Yeah, it wasn't even He went close. out there with the attitude that you guys are playing for second place. Yeah. Who's going to be the runner-up? Because I'm the man. I got the belt. You saw him make the maneuver. You saw him give the belt move. Champ right here, pounding the chest, gives the signal. The belt stays right here. Uh, extraordinary performance. I would like to see some some changes. Uh, I, I don't like guys running out of gas. No. All right. Uh, you know, from round to round because there's so many swings involved. I would like to see you know, some nuances. And, and intricacies changed on it, whether it's, you know, you get so many pitches, uh, but I, I think it's, I still think it's too long. It's just too long. Did feel long. I, I think it has to be shortened. And you know, I, again, I don't want to see guy because that's not part of the game. I understand home run derbies aren't part of baseball, but these kind of contests are terrific. I hate to see guys losing it because they're out of gas because they got stretched in a prior round to the nth degree where they got nothing left for the next round. Right. And you know, it's not that it's not in shape. It's just because, you know, there's only so many swings in the bat. But be that as it may, the big man defends his title. Everybody's loving Otani. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. 
We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Well, I guess we should say almost everybody. There is one man who once again stood small when the opportunity arose to put a size 11 firmly in his mouth. We can simply say the prince of pontification, the self-promoter, the full-time 24-7 shill, did it again. Stephen A., as much as you like Otani, as much as I like Otani, Stephen A., this is a guy who wouldn't know Brooks Robinson from Frank Robinson. That's how little he knows about baseball. Tells us that Shohei Otani Dude who needs an interpreter. Dude who needs an interpreter. He can't be the face of baseball. He can't be the face of baseball because he needs an interpreter. Max, over to you. That's a tough seat to have to sit in on Monday's first take. It was a tough show for Stephen A. We've talked about Stephen A on our show. He makes $12 million. He's earned where he's gotten in his career, but now he's the face and the voice, or at least ESPN wants him to be the face of the voice of everything. Of, of everything. He went from Vegas for the UFC fight with Conor McGregor to spitting in the microphone off that. He was peeking the thing because they didn't have it set up right, and you know how loud he gets. So the whole time he was talking, you were cringing if you're a radio person about the audio quality. Then he goes to game four of the NBA finals. He's flying back to New York to do first take. He's got to have a PG for this. Just flying across the country in a 72-hour span to scream about what's going on in sports. Part of me gets it. Part of me says, why don't you take some of that $12 million and not fire the beat guys and gals that are on these sports? Have them cover them to allow Stephen A. to rein in on his takes so they're not all over the place having to cover everything. We don't talk about everything on this show. I don't know everything there is to know about sports. I watch the Stanley Cup finals when they come around in the NHL because they're thrilling. The playoffs are thrilling. Couldn't tell you more than two guys on some of the teams. That's on me, but I'll tell you that. I'm not going to try to give an opinion on a hockey team. He has to talk, and I guess wants to talk, about everything. So there's going to be a time where you miss. There's just too much time to fill, too many words to have to say. It's not all going to be perfect. You're not going to have a 100% day all the time. On the same show that he rips Team USA's basketball team for losing to Nigeria, in an exhibition game, somewhat understandably so. Team USA had two losses since 1992 in exhibition games, and they got wiped the floor with in their first game out by Nigeria. Now, Nigeria isn't Charles Barkley's Angola. These teams around the world are starting to become pretty damn good basketball teams. They all have NBA players. They all have NBA players. Nigeria has five or six NBA guys on their team. The NBA is supposed to be Stephen A's sport. 
and he comes on the air and is just mispronouncing guys' names nonchalantly, like Kevin Durant's get guarded by this guy who goes by this name, treating them like they're just dudes off the street. They're in the NBA, man. Give them some credit. You can rip Team USA for losing. You could also give the team that beat them some chops. In that same show, he makes the comment about Shoei Otani can't be the face of baseball because he needs an interpreter. Are you kidding me? Look at the best players in baseball currently or who we hope will be the best players in baseball currently. Fernando Tatis Jr., Vladdy Guerrero Jr., the MVP of the All-Star Game. Who, ne- who, who needed an interpreter in the post-game press conference? Clutch my pearls, Al, that he had to use an interpreter after the needed game. Needed an interpreter in the post-game press conference. The entire discussion was in Spanish. Fernando and- Tatis on the mic during the game. They ask him, while Vladdy's rounding the bases, say something to him. You know what he says? Whatever it was, it was in Spanish. I don't know what it was. Half the time he was on the mic, he's talking to the guys in Spanish. Because that's the language they speak. And who the fuck cares? Well, let me say this about that. John Lund. Shohei Otani, Stephen A. Let me say this about that, John Lund. He speaks English. How can this dude who can't even... This guy is a fucking buffoon. He is a buffoon. A total and complete moron. He's so full of himself. After game four, after game three, he's on with Scott Van Pelt, who impresses me as one of the nicest guys in America. And at the end of the interview with Stephen A., who again pontificated, says to him, Stephen A., I'm worried about you, man. Get some rest. You know, because he's alluding to the, the McGregor fiasco. And Stephen A. being seen everywhere. And what does Stephen A. say at the end of the interview? Not thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Not thanks. Thanks for having me on. Stephen A. says, in typical, blowhard, holier-than-thou, I'm-the-man, arrogant fashion, champions rest after the work is done. Champions, you're a fucking champion? You're a fucking idiot. You're a champion is like me telling somebody, okay, I am young, tall, and handsome. Neither could be further from the truth. You're an absolute moron. And ESPN should have suspended him for six months. Six months without pay. Because the only thing he knows, the only thing that's going to teach him a lesson is two things. One, you keep him away from a fucking microphone. And two, you don't pay him. So that bag of his is constantly not getting full because he's looking to constantly fill that bag and he's looking to constantly yak about the things he knows nothing about. This was an ignorant comic. And then to make matters worse, he goes on the next day with this half-assed apology where he says, I want to apologize to the Asian community. He still doesn't fucking get it. He offended me, the old report, a 63-year-old American-born of Italian heritage who never for one fucking second had the mind to think what he thought. Because I love baseball. It's my sport. This guy is at 
incredible once-in-a-lifetime player because of what he's, he's – I'm not saying he's Babe Ruth, but he's doing what Babe Ruth did in this time frame, not at the same level of production with both vis-a-vis the rest of baseball. He's not hitting three times as many homers as everybody else did in 1919 or 1920. No, he's not. But what he's doing is remarkable, and what he's doing I've never seen. And I'm 63, and I never thought for once that he could not be the face of baseball because he needed an interpreter. The same one I thought, how can Vlad Guerrero Jr. be the MVP and a Triple Crown winner and one that we all idolize? because he needs an interpreter or that the great Roberto Clemente wasn't an all-time player because he needed an interpreter interpreter. But Stephen A is just apologizing to the Asians. He should be apologizing to fucking everyone because he offended me and anybody else of a right thinking mind because he is mindless. He doesn't have a fucking clue and he proves it time after time after time. He is a dope of epic proportions. And then I have to listen to his counterpart, that idiot with a straight face, Mad Max Kellerman. All right, the clueless one, say with a straight face, I sat next to this man for five years, and I could tell you he's not a racist. Thanks a lot, Max. You want to know something? If Jackie Robinson was alive, he would have run to Al Campanis' defense and said this man is not a racist. He missed it. May have been misplaced. He may have been misinformed. He may have been brought up with beliefs that were incorrect, but not a racist. Does anybody think Don Imus was a racist? Chris Maddog Russo and Mike Francesa went on the air and defended him and said, don't fire him. This was a mistake. It was a bad mistake. It was absolutely mindless. But Don Imus was trying to be funny. Don Imus made a huge mistake. But Don Imus has a great heart, and Don Imus is in no way, shape, or form a racist. He lost his job. Stephen A., for all I know, he may be a racist. I don't think he is. I don't know him personally. I just know he said something totally moronic. He said something totally asinine. And then he defends himself by saying, you know, being a being an African-American. I, no, 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 no. No, the African American, the race card, no, that doesn't bail you up in any way, shape, or form. What you said was mindless, tasteless, offensive to the Asian community and any other member of any community who has half a fucking brain. Just shut up and go a fucking way for a while until maybe you'll get it. The way he said it, too, like you had impersonized. The vitriol behind it. The dude needs an interpreter. Like he's making one of his lay off the weed jokes or references. Saying it like it's shameful. This dude speaks English. The reason he doesn't speak English in a public forum is so what he says and thinks he's saying can't be misconstrued of, oh, he must not understand that he meant to say this, but he said that. And then your fucking show would be talking about it the next day. Get a load of what Shohei Otani said at his press conference saying X, Y, and Z. Who does he think he is? Anybody who wants to get a little taste of what this dope is, 
Watch the little clip of him with the Hispanic female reporter interviewing him. I forgot the network. It's a little 30-second blurb where he acts like a complete womanizing idiot. Como esta? Uh, I guess you, your Spanish could use some work, Stephen. Yeah, I, I, I need somebody to help me out. Like uh, you know, maybe uh, you know, a, a Chicana. You know, I, I like the Chicana, but they don't apparently don't like me. And you know, watch this network, and then he rolls his eyes to her, and you know the reason why. I, I mean, he is tasteless. He is mindless. He is full of himself. As you said, he speaks with vitriol and arrogance, and ESPN has put him up on a pedestal where this is what we are supposed to be listening to as the voice of Entertainment Sports Network. This is the guy who talks for the network on everything from the NBA to the NFL to MLB to, of course, MMA. And, and now boxing as well, because he is the jack of all sports, the master of none. His ass would have been fired if he was anybody else. And he has had bite after bite after bite of the apple. He's been suspended before. Now, lo and behold, conspicuous by his absence last night, Michael Wilbon was on his own in the postgame with Scott Van Pelt. Did Stephen A. say, maybe I lay low? Did ESPN said you're laying low? We have no way of knowing. They haven't suspended him. They should have suspended him. I called for a suspension of six months without pay. I think it would be applauded, and I think it would show some fucking guts that they never show that they've got. There's no way that it's easy to talk about the most important news in every single major sport and then some. That's why only a handful of people do it well. I understand he wants to do this. ESPN obviously wants him to do this. For whatever reason, sports, media, television in the mornings has devolved into this where we need takes on absolutely everything, regardless of if you know anything about it. But the ignorance on that Monday show blew my mind. Thank goodness for Jeff Pass. You got to be better than that. Guts to go on. He wrote a great column that night, and then he had the guts to go on and put him in his place the next morning. He wasn't going to stand down. He wasn't going to back off. He was not going to accept any excuses. They did at least do a good job having the proper voices on the show that day to come after Stephen A. and explain to him why he's wrong. versus, Versus the apologist, Max Kellerman, and of course, Molly Rose, Stephen A., you're always standing up and admitting when you're wrong. I mean, come on, please. Be a little bit more of a kiss-ass. Show some guts, for Christ's sakes. And there's people that came out and had the defense of maybe people are getting too worked up and too canceled cultured, and they just love jumping on the opportunity when something happens in the public and Jeff Passan has to come on and talk about it. Or June Lee comes on and talks about it, thankfully given the platform to do so and talk about his community and how they felt about it. We just love jumping on top of things because other people are offended, et cetera. No. 
Uh-uh. That's not it for this circumstance. No, no, not this one. Not this no one. No way, no how. The nope. real argument you should be having, what should piss you off, what you should be discussing about baseball, is why the fuck there isn't a face of baseball. Not just this year, for years, plural. Because MLB doesn't know how to market its star athletes, and they haven't for decades. Derek Jeter was the face of the New York Yankees, and some people thought the face of baseball, winning five world championships. Do you remember anything he's ever said? And he spoke good English. No need for an interpreter. You can't have a pull quote from any one of his press conferences of, wow, remember that moment? Because there are none. 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 What did did Frances and Russo always say about it? He is the only guy who can talk and say nothing. He's the only major sports superstar who, when he finishes talking, he gives you nothing. Mike Trout, supposedly, as we were told very briefly in the home run derby, it was quite a weird moment. I get the guy on a Zoom or something real fast, ESPN, was on a cell phone and said something to Shohei Otani during one of his timeouts. That's been Mike Trout's whole career, basically. It's just been him on the other line of a cell phone. We have no idea what he looks like. He could have been in the home run derby, shagging fly balls in the outfield. Nobody would have known it was him. And he's been the best baseball player for 10-plus years. Put Shohei Otani as the face of baseball, and he'll fucking become the face of baseball, whether he speaks or not. He already is. They can't market their players. Argue about that. It's him, Tatis, and Guerra. Because they're so much fun, and they're so good at baseball. Why aren't they in our face every single day? It makes no sense. That's what you should be pissed off about. Well, and the other thing that made no sense, and which we're both pissed off about, it was unique. It always was. It always has been. Whoever idea it was to take the Major League All-Stars out of their uniforms that we have seen them wear forever to be able to identify them easily and the team that they're on behalf of when you're a little kid growing up, there's my guy. Wait to see your guy in his uniform. To put them in these god-awful uniforms that were just hideous with a quasi-design of their own particular team on one side of their chest. All white, and was it dark blue or black? It was all white like that team was going to go wash windows after the game and that it was dark blue for the American League like they were about to go to the mechanic shop and work on your car in, in, after the game. First, in, in baseball, in baseball, you cannot have dark pants. Ever, ever, ever. The pants can be no darker than the road grays. Tops, Mets, blacks look good, Okay. Colored tops, no problem. Dodgers when they wear the blue tops. Giants when they wear the black tops. You know, that's fine. Orioles wear the black tops. You cannot wear black pants in baseball. Wear them in football. Wear them in basketball. You cannot wear black pants or dark pants in baseball. They look like hideous softball uniforms. Vanderbilt is the number one program in the country. When they wear their all-dark uniforms, they're unwatchable. They are hideous looking. Those uniforms were blasphemous. There were a pox on the game. 
take them out and burn them and then bury them and go back to the regular team uniforms for the players so we can identify them, recognize them, and they can do their cities proud. Well, we've at least got one more year to wait, reportedly, because apparently Nike is already trying to design next year's All-Star uniforms. Maybe if they have a whole year to do it, they won't look like you got them at the Jersey Shore. You want people to buy the uniforms? Put an All-Star patch on the sleeve. Put something on the left chest. They're going to buy them. Keep it simple, man. All-Star Jersey. Check me out. Yeah, they're going to get bought. You just have to let it be known they're the all-star jersey by anything other than what you did. Exactly. Fingers crossed for baseball because the all-star game ended. No baseball. On Thursday, they were going to roll out the Yankees and Red Sox to at least have one game. And then three Yankees players went on COVID protocol. We find out that more were added. One of them was Aaron Judge, who, if you may or may not remember, played in the all-star game. So the Red Sox players were going to have to get tested because he was around them on the team. Who knows what interaction they had had already on the field itself or batting practice or wherever they were, which means because of protocols and testing, you would think the whole lineup for the American league would have to get tested. Absolutely. Which would then mean the whole national league lineup would have to get tested because they were interacting before, during, and after the game, or that whole weekend, which means basically all of Major League Baseball is going to have to get tested. And what a shitstorm of results we're going to get back if that's the case. You get a test. You get a test. You get a test. You get a test. We just have to really keep our fingers crossed that we don't start feeling that PTSD from 2020 where it's teams missing multiple games, players down to their triple-A squad, and then before you know it, the fans are told to stay home. We're bubbling this thing up again. Sweet heavens. Get out the asterisk. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Pleasure's all mine, big fellow folks. For my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, he is the new report. I am the old report. Al from White Plains, Al Renato, telling all of you, be safe. Enjoy game five and get vaccinated. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.